Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 37, the Meta World Peace episode, which is ironic because we've got a big player suspension to discuss here shortly. But before we get into our opening tips, Let's be sure our listeners know that we're excited to have a new sponsor for the show, and that is BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and uh, casino and card games. You can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe to receive fifty percent. Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And uh, with that, our show will start with Bruce giving us an opening tip. All right, Ross, thanks. And uh, welcome to our friends from Bet Online. It's great to be associated with you. You know, Draymond Green may very well have written his ticket out of Golden State with his latest act of stupidity when he stomped on the torso of DeMontis Sabonis and was ejected from Monday's game two loss to the Kings. He may or may not have been suspended if that had been his only poor decision, but when he taunted the crowd and acted like a WWE villain on his way to the locker room, he actually kind of forced the NBA to to suspend him. In explaining the suspension, the league's disciplined czar, Joe Dumars, cited Green's history of bad acts. The list is long, but here are some highlights. In the 2016 playoffs, he kicked Stephen Adams, then of the OKC Thunder, in the nuts, which cost Green 25 grand and a flagrant. Then in the 2016 finals against Cleveland, he picked up another flagrant foul when he hit LeBron James down there in game four, leading to his suspension for game five. At the time, the Dubs were leading the Cavs three games to one, but when the Cavs were given life in game five with Green watching from home, they took that game and the next two as the Cavs won the title in seven games. I'm always going to believe that if Green had played game five, Golden State would have won that title in 2016. I never felt Green expressed any real remorse for costing his team a championship and ultimately a run of four straight championships. And now Green's antics have bookended this season. Early in training camp, he punched teammate Jordan Poole at practice. Uh, Really nice, you know, and, and, and really suffered little more than a slap on the wrist. It was really a bad way to begin a a title defense, and the team stumbled out of the gate starting three and seven and never really looked like a group with chemistry. So now with his team on the brink of losing in the first round, he gets himself suspended for game three of a series, the Dubs trail 2-0. This supposedly great teammate demonstrated selfishness and a lack of concern for the team. The Warriors, well, they were always looking like they could be beaten, but with Green off the court, it's going to fall on his teammates to cover for him, which is asking a lot. He's got one year left on his deal, but the organization has to be tiring of his antics. Maybe he'll play for the Warriors next season, but I'd be willing to bet that the team would entertain trade offers for him. 
But even if he finishes out his contract with Golden State, I believe it will be one more year and out for Draymond Green by the Bay. Well said there, Bruce. And uh, I've got a hunch the Phoenix Suns might be interested in Draymond Green this this summer. Just a hot take of mine and uh, something we can definitely discuss in more detail come the summertime. World B, what do you have for an opening tip? Thank you, Ross. It's time to go into the Wayback Machine, back to April 20th, 1986, when a second-year guard named Michael Jordan, who was a star already but still years away from reaching his iconic status in the world, scored a playoff record 63 points against the Celtics in the old Boston Garden. Now, 63 points would be an amazing performance for anyone but it came against perhaps the greatest Celtics team of all time by a player who played in all of 18 games that season because of a broken foot. As a favorite of Bruce, I'll point out the fact that the Celtics did win that game in double overtime and ended up winning the series in three games back when it was a three three out of five. But anybody who watched that game that day, they were able to get an early look at the player who Larry Bird described afterwards as God disguised as Michael Jordan. Wow, good one there. Uh, as a fun fact for today, World B. And uh, speaking of scoring, that's what my opening tip is about as well. And I want to focus in here on Jamal Murray, who was outstanding on Wednesday night for the Nuggets. He came out of the gates on fire, setting the tone. And in the second half, when the Wolves made a run yet again, it was Murray that was there to answer the call. He went on to drop 40 points on 13 of 22 shooting in the Nuggets game two victory at home. And this was his fifth career 40 point playoff game, which broke a tie with Nuggets legends Alex English and Spencer Hayward for most such games in Nuggets history. So well done there, Jamal. And uh, we'll get right into our first quarter now. And uh, stop me if you've heard this before the Warriors' road woes continue and now have their backs against the wall down 0-2 against the Sacramento Kings as the Sherry sifts to the Bay. Bruce, we'll tee it off with you on what you're looking at in this series. Let's see what type of reception DeMonta Sabonis gets at the Chase Center. <laughs> with Draymond suspended, Golden State loses its defensive anchor. During the regular season, Green missed nine games, and the Dubs were just three and six in those games. Will the Warriors get a lift from the home crowd? Will a lot of Kings fans make the two-hour drive and get tickets for the game? We will not hear cowbells in Chase Center because the Warriors have banned them. So we'll just have to see if Jonathan Kaminga can fill Green's shoes. He'll probably match uh, Dre's numbers in scoring and rebounding, but passing is a big part of Draymond's game. And while Kaminga is much improved, he isn't the playmaker that Draymond is. World B? Well, for me, they're going to miss – I think the Warriors are going to miss uh, Green on the defensive end. Uh, in this series, when he's on the court, they're allowing uh, – Warriors are allowing just 108 points point, – 108.7 points per 100 possessions. When he's off the court, it's a, the efficiency goes up to 127.5 per 100 possessions. So there's a big difference when he's on and off the court. His antics and you know garbage aside – he is a guy that's going to be missed, I think, on the court. Um, what's interesting is, you know, in the last game, the Warriors came out really sharp defensively. It's been a real problem for them on the road all season. In the first uh, quarter, they only allowed 
what, 86.8 points per 100 possession, well under a point per possession. That's solid defense no matter what. The problem is over the final three quarters, the efficiency went up to 125 per 100 possession. So, you, you know, they got – they're a team that has to sustain it for a long time. And, uh, you know, too many turnovers and – it's it's a problem for Golden State. You know, let's see how they are at home. But you know, the defense has got to step up, and now you're without you know your best defensive player. I think the first six minutes of Game Three uh, in the Bay is going to tell us a lot about the Warriors' chances going forward. Because I truly think with the Warriors back at home, with the shooting that they have, Wiggins now has a couple games under his belt here in the playoffs as well. I think they might get things rolling at home, kind of get that crowd energy going. And uh, as we know and have seen in past years, when those guys start shooting the ball as they're capable of and and have that home crowd around them, uh, they certainly are a scary team. So I would look for the Warriors to try to go small uh, against the Sacramento Kings without Draymond Green. I think we could see a lot more Gary Payton II out there, maybe some Moses Moody just to add some more perimeter shooting. And uh, they're going to have to try to match. It's, it's crazy to say this, but the Warriors are going to have to try to match the pace of the Sacramento Kings. You know, I expect both Stephen Curry and De'Aaron Fox to be absolutely electric in this game. They're, go- they're both going to get buckets um, and they're going to play with the energy. And, you know, we know Sacramento's going to play with the energy. But the Warriors now all of a sudden, you know, they're getting to be a little bit of an older team. You know, Clay Thompson Sometimes this looks a little on the old side. Steph Curry, of course, is in his mid-30s now. Uh, whereas, you know, the Kings, they got, you know, they got De'Aaron Fox, they got Keegan Murray, they got these young legs that are happy to run up and down the court. So uh, we'll see if, you know, if the crowd can lift the Warriors. And also, can the Warriors match the energy that the Kings are going to bring? Because really, if the Kings win this game, it's over. I mean, I'm not it's saying over. it's impossible for the Warriors to win four straight, but if you're down 0-3 to a team after this, it's oh, tonight is it. I mean, it's do or die for the Warriors. I, tonight meaning Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things about this. You mentioned uh, Steph Curry. We all expect, He's been running around like crazy trying to get free. You know, he's averaging, uh, I think, over almost two miles – on the offensive end running around per game, like 1.7 miles per game on the offensive end running around. It's not out of the norm. He's he's in the top five most years in running around. We, we all know whatever. He's doing a little bit more in this series. Um, and because Davion Mitchell is all over him, 57 yes. possessions, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell has been the primary defender on Curry. Curry has four points on those 57 possessions. So he's really, really done a great job on him. And the other thing is, who's going to guard Darren Fox down the stretch? First three quarters in the series, he's got 36 points total. In the fourth quarter of the two games, he's got 26 points total. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's fourth quarter Fox. He's lived up to that billing through two games. Who was, you know, while you're, you're right, Russ, it's important for the Warriors to have that good start because you don't want to get down and just emotionally and all this stuff in the crowd not to get into it. But it's not even going to matter until the fourth quarter comes around if nobody's going to be able to stop the, the Warriors. They have 31 points in the clutch. They played eight minutes of clutch minutes where the score is within five points with five minutes to go in the game. In eight minutes, the Kings have 31 points in those clutch minutes. So 
Who's going who's gonna to come up on the defensive end for the Warriors in this game? You know, you mentioned Davion Mitchell, and he has definitely lived up to the nickname that he got when he was playing for Baylor, Off Night. Absolutely. <laughs> great name. <laughs> and another great name being the mitten, Gary Payton II. Mm-hmm. I mean, you ask the question, there will be who can stop him. I'm not saying he's going to shut him down, but I think that's the Warriors' legitimate best chance uh, as a one-on-one defender against De'Aaron Fox. So it could uh, be. be curious to see it. Yeah, I mean, it'd be curious to see if Steve Kerr does roll with uh, Pey- Peyton to to have that defensive assignment in the fourth quarter uh, for De'Aaron Fox. Kerr should play Rudy Tomjanovich's soundbite before the game. Never underestimate the heart of a champion because the Warriors are going to need all the heart they can come up with if they're going to dig themselves out of this hole. By the way, Rod, you they talked sp- about going the Warriors going small perhaps, and I don't dispute that at all. But that's going to be even more problems for them. They're getting killed on the offensive glass in this series. They've given up, I think, twenty-one offensive, twenty-four offensive rebounds for the Kings, which has led to like forty-one second chance points. Twenty in one game, twenty-one in another for the Kings. That's huge. And you got to, you know, going small with the best rebounder in the league this year is is you better you better be able to shoot and put it in the basket because you're not going to get a whole lot in the way of uh, rebounds. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors are definitely living or dying by the three at this point with the the current team as constructed. But what are their other options outside of Kevon Looney without Draymond Green? There are none. They traded James Wiseman to the Detroit Pistons. As I think we talked about during the deadline, I was definitely a little concerned and confused why the Warriors didn't try to add another five-man just to have on their bench. Um, So that's really kind of their only option. So, I mean, it's going to – yeah. So it's going to come down to whether or not uh, uh, these guys can can get hot moving the ball around the perimeter and knocking down open threes and maybe forcing some turnovers, which could be key too. I mean, let's see how a guy like Malik Monk does on the on a, on the road in a playoff type atmosphere. They can kind of get him to turn the ball over that that leads to easy runouts for this team to kind of get things moving offensively. And as we know, this this team is fueled all by their offense and. Obviously, there's supreme shooting with both the Splash Brothers and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. You know, the problem is with that, the only problem with that, uh, Russ, is the Warriors defense is not a big turnover, forcing <laughs> turnover team. They're, they're not. And on the flip side, they've been coughing it up big time in two games. Yep. I think the turnover percentage is almost 18% of their of possessions and in the turnover. That's a ridiculous number that would uh, – put them at the bottom. They were at the bottom next to last in, in the regular season to begin with in turnover percentage. I think the Rockets were worse. That's that's a per- team you want to be on the same level as when it comes to uh, turnovers or anything, I guess, for that matter. And it's it's a good concept. I don't know if they, the defense is geared up to force turnovers and create uh, points at the other end. They sure know how to do it on the offensive end, giving it up, though. Yep. And before we do move on to our second quarter, let's touch upon another fun series out West uh, between the Suns and the Clippers. Uh, Of course, we had KD's Suns undefeated streak come to an end in game one, which was followed up by Scott Foster's 14 game win streak officiating Chris Paul (laughs) snapped in game two. World B, I'm going to start with you on this one. Any thoughts as this series shifts out to Los Angeles? Uh, A couple Phoenix got production from everybody in the starting lineup. I think everybody had at least 14 points where the Clippers got absolutely nothing out of 
of Russ and Kawhi. You get a night where, where Russ actually shakes off his typical shooting touch and actually puts them in the basket and you can't, you know, be a little more competitive. That's a disappointment. Um, the mid range game is absolutely working for the Suns. You know, that's, you know, when you have KD, you figure that's going to be the case. 21 of 29 on mid range jumpers in game two, 72%. I mean, that's a ridiculous number. The, not to, the, the attempts is a ridiculous number. 29 attempts is impressive, but to make 21 of them, missing just eight shots like that is uh, really impressive. And like I said, the Clippers got to get something out of uh, players besides Russ and, and Kawhi in this series if they want to go far. Bruce? Well, one thing the Clippers have gotten is some really outstanding play from their zubots Plumley center combination. Uh, between them, they're averaging more than 14 points and 17 rebounds, which is more than holding their own against DeAndre Ayton, who's averaging 16 uh, points and 10 and a half boards. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, Kevin Durant had a had a great game, has had actually two excellent games, and he's playing both ends of the court. 26 points, eight assists, more than seven rebounds, and two blocks. I mean, that is just, you know, all-around basketball by KD. And, uh, and Booker's averaging 32, and he's actually, you know, he's grinding on defense too. I mean, he's getting two and a half steals and, a, and one and a half blocks per game. So uh, I would say that like the other four versus five series in the East, this one looks like a seven-gamer, and we'll see who grabs that two-to-one lead after Thursday night. You know, Devin Booker was the, the guy that stood out to me in that game too. Of course, we talked about how much KD really helped Devin Booker get free uh, in the first couple of games we saw as a short sample size uh, during the end of the regular season. We didn't quite see that in game one from Devin Booker taking advantage of, of those opportunities. I, if, game one felt more like Kevin Durant versus Kawhi going toe-to-toe and Booker was kind of left out of the shuffle there. That was not the case in game two. I thought Devin Booker came out locked in, ready to go, and uh, huge difference maker on the offensive side of the floor and, and just his overall aggressiveness. And and the weirdest thing I found about this game, the Suns ended up scoring 123 points. They only had three players that went to the foul line in this game. Devin Booker went 6-6 six six from the line. That Kevin Durant was five of six from the line, and Josh Okogi uh, shot a pair of free throws. Outside of that, no one else got to the line. On the road in Los Angeles, that's going to definitely need to change. They're going to need to get to the line more uh, and, and get some of these guys in foul trouble because that's just a huge indicator that uh, you know they weren't they weren't being aggressive enough in the lane. They were settling for some more outside shots, which they were fortunate enough to knock down at home. But on the road, we know things can be a little bit different, a little bit more hostile. So uh, just keep an eye on that as this series heads into game three in Los Angeles. And uh, with that, let's get to our second quarter. And let's discuss the Milwaukee Bucks, who had a big bounce back game in game two. Even without the Greek freak, the Bucks put up 81 points in the first half. Good for the most in a first half in franchise postseason history. And Bruce, what were your big takeaways from that? As I'm sure you're scouting the Bucks as a potential matchup down the line with your Celtics. Well, they needed to come out and be the more desperate team. And that's exactly what they did. They knew they didn't have Greek freak and Drew Holiday just led the way with big assists from Brooke Lopez and others. 
And anyone who listens to 48 Minutes knows how much I like and respect Drew Holiday. He's the ultimate security blanket for this team. Whatever is needed, he does it. He did most of his damage in the first half. And this game was over at halftime, as you mentioned. I mean, it was 81-55 at the half, you know, pretty much game over. He finished with 24, 5, and 11, and a plus 28 in 33 minutes. He led the way. He didn't do it alone. He did have some help, but he was definitely the the, the point of the spear, as they say, uh, in, in pushing that team to victory. Will be? Yeah, you know, they, they got – uh, 25 threes in this game. That's you're going to win most nights if you're the, you're the bucks. <laughs> uh, if you're the yeah. bucks with their defense and you can get 25 threes, that's going to be uh, a recipe for success. They, I mean, everybody was hitting them. It's Grayson Allen was hitting them. Uh, Portis was hitting them. Uh, Drew Holiday was hitting them. I mean, everybody had a you know, had a great game from uh, three point range. So, you know, when they when they play without Giannis in the two games at Miami. Back in January, they, that was the same formula they were trying to do. They got like 60%. I think they've only had two games all season where 60% of their scoring came from threes during the regular season. It was those two games in Miami without Giannis. So that's the recipe that you want to follow clearly. It's like, all right, we're going to just hit you from the perimeter. And if we make them great, if we don't, well, we're in trouble. But the other thing is, too, they, as it should be, because they're so big, much bigger than the uh, Heat. They're dominating inside. I mean, in this series, I think they're 31 out of 31 out of 40 in the restricted area. So if you hit 25 threes and in one game and you score 31, shoot 31 of 40 in the restricted area, you know, in, in the world of analytics, everybody, that's efficiency at its finest. Hitting from the outside and hitting at the rim, the most efficient areas on, on the court. So that's uh that's the perfect recipe. That's a Bucks offense that can match their defense and compete for a championship. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, I, I I really like what they got off the bench in this game. I mean, obviously, Pat Connaughton was great, 8-12 for 22 points. Joe Ingles was huge. I mean, a lot of that uh, second uh, quarter boost was from Joe Ingles, who was pulling yeah. up in transitions for threes, which is pretty bizarre to see, but great to see for Bucks fans. And uh, even Javon Carter played 14 minutes, only scored three points, but uh, he's just a menace out there. Uh, definitely putting pressure on guys like Gabe Vincent, who are not, you know, known to be in these type of situations where he he's looking to step up with the pressure on him uh, with Tyler Hero out. Um, I, I I thought Milwaukee did an outstanding job bouncing back in this one. Certainly got the momentum they're going to need with, when this series heads to uh, South Beach. And um, I got to ask you guys, one thing that's really been on my mind is the fact that with Giannis's status going forward, after seeing what you saw from your Bucks team in game two, let's say he's 80%. Do you roll him out there for game three, or do you see if this current group can just stick together knowing he's not out there on the floor and put together another solid win like they did in game two? Do you, If you were the Bucks, would you play Giannis at 80% or let him rest another game? Bruce? Well, First of all, nobody has yet mentioned the name Bobby Portis, who started in Giannis's place. Bobby Portis had uh, 15 rebounds and 13 points, okay? Um, Now, his minutes off the bench were basically taken by Pat Connaughton, who, as you mentioned, was 8 of 12. But Connaughton and Joe Ingles together were 11 of 16 shooting threes. (laughs) 
33 points on 16 three-point attempts. That is just completely off the chart. Now, can you expect that same sort of shooting on the road? Maybe not. But I would but I would go like this. I would consider starting Giannis, see how he's looking. If he's not really looking like himself, say, okay, maybe, maybe dial it back with him. Put put Portis in and get Conadin into the rotation. Uh rely a little bit more on Joe Ingles. You know you could or not Joe Ingles, rely a little more on Chris Middleton for some scorings. And you know Drew Holiday, again, will do anything that's needed. So I think Budenholzer's in a reasonably good situation there. Uh, but, look, let's face it. I mean, you know, you, you want Giannis in there. He's the best player yeah. on the team. <laughs> will be? Uh, I think the advantage that the Bucks have in terms of height that came, up, came out, showed itself uh, in game two, even without Giannis, would be a reason to uh, – yeah, if he's not 100%, maybe you do sit him. You don't want to potentially give away games because you set your best player to be a potential MVP on the on the on the bench. But, you know, the Bucks have bigger uh aspirations and the last thing you want to do is get hurt in the first round series, make it even worse. And back back issues are not the same as, you know, messing up your foot or messing up your knee or wrist or the a back issue is that's that's career problems if it becomes a serious mess. Not that any injury isn't, but you know back back issues have a tendency to really uh, curtail careers, and you certainly don't want to see that happen. Uh, that being said, the, the the fact that the Bucks, like I said, have such an advantage in height, they have nobody for Lopez. No matter who the they, the Bam can't do it, and that's really it. If you like Bam, you can't. You know that's your best uh, option. And so I would think, you know, the Heat are in a mess too. They, without Hero, they had to start Duncan Robinson in game two. Now he played fine. I mean, on the offensive end, now who's he guarding? That's another issue. That's the reason he doesn't play doesn't play much anymore to begin with. He, he can't guard. If he, if you're a shooter and you can't shoot, we you know, you run out of things for you to do. So um, but he played well on the offensive end. Uh, it was a interesting gamble to put him in the lineup, him of all players. So We'll see how they counter that. And uh, you're going to get more out of Butler. You know, he had another 25 point night, but they were minus 31 when he was on the court. So, you know, it wasn't uh, plus minus is always a little dicey. But um, it's if the Heat can shoot, they're going to be perimeter oriented the rest of this series, even without Hero, because uh, they have no inside game. Yeah, maybe I'd uh, let Giannis sit out one more day and get healthy, or one more game. I think I'm I'm going to go with letting him sit out just because I think this team does struggle with not knowing his status. I feel like they do much better knowing he's completely out and what's going to be expected of each guy in the rotation with him out than, oh, Giannis is playing. All right, I'm going to shift back to my usual, usual role with him out there. And then, you know, he goes down and it's like, wait, now I got to shift my mindset to become an alpha once again. So – I was curious to get your guys' thoughts, but uh, nonetheless, it should be interesting to see uh, the status of the Greek freak moving forward. And I'd like that, to talk a little bit oh, uh, before we go to halftime. I would yeah. like to talk just for a moment about Eric Spolstra here. Okay. I think Miami's probably pretty happy with the split. Obviously they're not happy about losing Tyler hero, but I want to give a couple of examples of really smart coaching by Eric Spolstra here, because I'm a huge fan of his. 
as uh, World B mentioned, he started Duncan Robinson with Hero out, and he shot the ball well, went four out of six from downtown at 14 points. He also dusted Victor Oladipo off, who hasn't really yeah. played much lately. And those two, he, he gave them 26 minutes and 15 points, okay? Those two saw their numbers ramp up, and they're going to obviously be asked to replace Hero's numbers. So while a lot of the game was garbage time, they combined for 29 points and 10 rebounds, shaking off the rust. Conversely, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler both had off nights, and Spolstra wisely reduced their minutes as the game went on. He wanted to save their legs for the games in Miami for three and four. Uh, I just think Eric Spolstra, you know, he, he, he plays, you know, 3D chess, and I'm not saying that Mike Budenholzer doesn't, but Eric Spolstra, my friends, is a Hall of Fame coach. Absolutely. No doubt about that. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. All right. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. The Lakers, they did not have their A game following uh, game one. In game two, they let that one slip away in Memphis versus a jawless Grizzlies team. And, of course, this series now shifts back to Los Angeles. And, uh, Will B, I'm going to start with you. Were you a little surprised that uh, the Lakers let this one slip through the cracks, or were you expecting a big uh, bounce-back game from the Grizzlies? Uh, I was expecting a lot more energy. I think I mentioned before we talked about in the previous episode Teams rarely go down 0-2 uh, at home. So you had to figure the Grizzlies are, would come back and play. Uh, they played their game. I mean, that's they they really did not shoot the ball tremendous. They jumped out early on, on the Lakers, up by, what, 30 to 19 after the first quarter. Yep. And they forced a whole bunch of turnovers on defense, 10 nothing in points off turnovers in the first quarter alone. So that's a big uh, big key for them. And so I wasn't, I wasn't surprised that they came out with so much energy. Um, you know, they were the better team all season than the Lakers. Let's just, you know, that's why yeah. one's number two and one's, you know, had to be in the play-in game. Uh, the Lakers are great in the second half of the season. We talked about that, but you know, over the course of the season, the Grizzlies had proven to be a better team. And on Tuesday, on uh, Wednesday, they played their game, uh, and that is, I don't have to shoot so great. I can get score in other areas, and that's what they did. You know, just like Milwaukee, Memphis was the more desperate team. I mean, you could see right from the jump. You know, they came out with with a, with a sense of desperation. Uh, we had spoken prior to Game Two about Xavier Tillman about how he needed to do a little bit more for those guys, yeah. uh, and Tillman and Tyus Jones were total pros in Game Two. Tillman averages just seven and five during the regular season. He had 22 and 13, okay? He went like 10 out of 13 from the floor. He was just a, a beast in the paint. And Tyus Jones, who I heard on the TNT broadcast, is the highest paid backup point guard in the NBA, uh, earned his money. He had 10, 6, and 8 with just one turnover in 36 minutes. So uh, they did a very nice job coming out with the energy, with the desperation. And, of course, then there's Dylan Brooks, okay? He's oh, trying goodness. to be Draymond 2.0, taunting LeBron, shooting just five for 14. But you know what? He had that dagger late in the game. He is so feeling himself right now. Okay. Let's see how LeBron responds to that smoke in game three. 
Did you see his uh, post-game comments in the locker room with his uh, sunglasses on saying, you know, LeBron's old. He's old. I don't care what he's got to say. I knew he was going to talk some stuff, but he's an old man now. So looks yeah, like he's I, lighting a fire under LeBron. <laughs> we'll, ha- we'll have something to say about that at the end. <laughs> oh, all righty. Tease alert. I, I look forward to that one. Yeah, I mean, I was I was very impressed with the Grizzlies' response here in Game 2. Of course, I uh, didn't think the Lakers did themselves any favors with uh, their effort and energy level for, for most of that game. But the Grizzlies got back to playing Memphis Grizzly basketball, got big contribution from Tillman, as you alluded to there, Bruce. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even off their bench, you know, Luke Kennard, a guy they went out and acquired at the trade deadline, shot it well from three. Uh, Roddy, their rookie, shot it well from three. Both of them had three threes apiece. Mm-hmm. Um, so got some good contributions there. But I think the thing that I wanted to definitely note here on the uh, Lakers is that Desmond Bain did get his answer Wednesday night as Rui Hachimura scored 20 points off the bench for the Lake, the Lake Show once again. And Rui became the first Laker to score 20-plus points off the bench in back-to-back playoff games since some guy named Magic Johnson did so in 1996. You know, Rui, as you mentioned, had another solid game, and he has definitely cemented himself as the sixth man. You know, I remember when they picked him up, you know, earlier in the season – all of us liked this acquisition, yep. okay, when when they traded for him. And that was really Rob Palenka's very first move in retooling this team on the fly uh, before the trade deadline. So he was really the first guy they brought in, and uh, he's just been outstanding. But, but, but a quick note about uh, Anthony Davis. He had a very subpar game in game two. He got hit in the eye. He drew a little blood, shot 414. Had his shot rejected by six foot five inch John Conchar, which had to be embarrassing for him. That one's, you know, we're going to remember that one for a while. I think, of course, he'll be better in LA, but I wonder, you know, did AD kind of, you know, maybe not take the Grizz as seriously as he should have? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think a lot of it could go back to the Grizzlies getting back to their their own principles and standards of being a, bit, a little bit more physical. I thought they were a lot more physical with Anthony Davis in this one. Of course, the fact that Xavier Tillman was aggressive offensively made Anthony Davis work a lot more down down low as well. And, uh, you know, Tillman got the best of him in this one. I would expect a bounce-back game from Anthony Davis to have a monster uh, game three in, in Los Angeles for the Lakers. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis was, was subpar for sure. And um, – this one's definitely going to remain interesting as everything is now deadlocked at one game apiece. Hey, uh, can as, I just say one real quick thing about LeBron sure. before we move on? As of late, his outside shot isn't really falling. I mean, you know, he's getting almost all of his points at the rim and at the foul line. And you know what? Teams are going to load up on his drives if he doesn't start getting some of those outside shots to fall. He was one out of eight from downtown on Wednesday, and he's four for 16 from downtown in two games. Granted, you know, he he still does LeBron things. He had 28 and 12, but he was minus 17 in 39 minutes, okay? Um, and uh, I can't wait to see if Draymond 2.0, I mean, Dylan Brooks, backs up <laughs> that smack talk against him in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I mean, LeBron's definitely got to find that outside stroke to kind of have that inside-outside game working for himself and for others because we know how much that opens up everybody else out on the perimeter. As for the fourth quarter, 
the Timberwolves showed some life late Wednesday night in the second half, but still fell short to the Denver Nuggets, now find themselves down 0-2. Much like I think we'd all agree on Atlanta, I think the Wol- or the Timberwolves are pretty much toast at this point, but uh, wanted to get your guys' thoughts on what you thought of that second half as they did put together a nice run and made things interesting in that fourth quarter. Bruce? Why don't you go first on this one, World? Oh, it was very impressive uh, to be able to come back like that because, you know, they they basically laid an egg in game one and they were getting handed to them for a half in game two. And, you know, being a – they're not – they're kind of young, but they're not really young when you have Conley and, and Rudy there. But, you know, their best – you know, Cat is young and, and uh, Anthony Edwards is young. And Edwards took over. And had a you know tremendous uh, second half, and I mean twenty seven points in the second half. He was hitting everything. It was really an impressive thing to get all the way back in a quarter. They didn't even need the the uh, the entire half to get back in the game. They got back by the end of the third quarter. Had the lead uh, in the fourth quarter for a time. Now, after a while, the Nuggets uh, were able to put it away and stuff, but it, it was. As Ross mentioned, Jamal Murray was solid. Um, he, who he's capable of doing that. We've seen that in the past in uh, in the bubble in the playoffs, a pair of fifty point games. With, so from him, and so we know what he's capable of capable of there. But I was uh, I was impressed with the comeback, and I think that's a lot of momentum for Minnesota going into uh, the next games at, in Minnesota. I have a slightly different take on it. Not disagreeing with you by any by any means, right. but here's the deal. The Nuggets jumped out to a 15-point lead at halftime, right? Then the Wolves stormed back in the third quarter, putting up 40 points in the third quarter, eventually taking the lead after three. But in the final quarter, Denver outscored Minnesota 35-24 to win by nine. Now, here's my take, and maybe World B, you can look into your magical database and see if my theory is accurate here. <laughs> but here's the thing. When road teams play in Denver, okay, they need to stay close at halftime. They can't have a huge halftime deficit because what ends up happening is they have to crush it in the third quarter just to get back in the game. And that's what happened in game two. But after flooring it in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, I think the altitude does start to take its toll on these visiting teams and their energy is gradually sapped. And then Denver cashes in. And that's what I think happened last night. So, yeah, if you can stay with them in the first half and not have to totally go nuts in the third quarter where you got to leave everything out there to get back in the game, you'll have something left for a closing kick in the fourth quarter. And I think Minnesota didn't have that in game two. I would agree with that, Bruce. I think the fourth quarter definitely took its toll on a team that Florida in the third. Another thing that took its toll on the Timberwolves was the foul trouble. Carl Anthony Towns picked up foul number three in the first half, then had a fourth foul. Uh, Rudy Gobert had five fouls by the end of the game, so he was out there kind of gingerly walking around playing defense because he couldn't be as aggressive as usual. And then you look at other guys, Torian Prince, who's been a stepped up big time for this team in Jaden McDaniel's absence. He had five personal fouls. Uh, Anthony Edwards had his fourth foul. And Kyle Anderson had four fouls off the bench, who's their primary sixth man. So this team really had foul trouble throughout the game. Credit to the Denver Nuggets for getting them into that foul trouble. Uh, But, you know, 
despite an impressive third quarter, I think between running out of gas and that foul trouble came back to cost them in game two of, you know, ultimately taking a win back to Minnesota with them. So I will uh, say this real quick. The, the one thing concerning is, and we've been worried about it all season is the Nuggets defense. And that third quarter was terrible for them and at home. And you could hear Mike Malone. He was mic'd up or whatever, talking in the huddle. He, he was just livid at him for allowing it. Minnesota come back and the defense that they played. And to your point, Bruce, they, they picked it up in the fourth and maybe it was a little talking to or whatever, but uh, it's, it's concerning because you're going to face tougher competition. If you get to go forward than the Minnesota Timberwolves for Denver. So you better, uh, the defense has got to tighten up. You know, it was kind of interesting to see when Gobert picked up that foul and got the technical, how Kyle Anderson was the guy who went over to him and he teed up and tried <laughs> to sort of settle him down. You know, if you're Chris Finch, you have to be happy with those two for acting like adults, you know, after their previous conflicts. And the other thing I just want to point out, you know, in looking through the numbers from uh, the game, you mentioned that uh, Ant had 41 and Jamal had 40. They had almost identical statistical lines. Ant was six for 10 on threes. Jamal was six for 10 on threes. Ant shot 14 of 23. Jamal shot 13 of 22. Jamal had five dimes. Ant had four. Uh, Jamal was eight for nine from the line. Ant was seven for eight. So those two guys kind of canceled each other out, but it was, boy, it was really a nice, you know, mano a mano battle between those two guys. That was, that was fun to watch. Yep, a lot of fun to watch there, and it was a lot of fun for me, too, as I did have a same-game parlay on that game that hit. And with that, let's get right into our best bets presented by BetOnline.ag, your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. So here's the parlay. It's a Nuggets-Wolves same-game parlay, and this six this six-legger hit on Wednesday night at plus 110 odds, and I certainly plan on running it back again for Friday night's matchup. We need Jamal Murray to score 15 points, Kyle Anderson to score five points, Rudy Gobert to grab eight rebounds, and we need one three-pointer made from Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. So what do you guys think of that same game parlay for Friday night's matchup? I like it. I wouldn't I wouldn't go against you these days. I think, <laughs> uh, I think you're – Ride the hot hand, as as, a, as we say in the uh, wagering business. So uh, you're you're got the magic touch this week. I mean, it certainly sounds you know very plausible. And uh, you know, the one thing I wonder, you know, is is Mike Conley going to nail a three? But um, the other ones, I think, you know, those all sound you know pretty solid. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 riding with uh, with Ross's picks. Love to hear it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's the motto I got going this week. And uh, with that, head on to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. And be sure to use that promo code BELIEVE to receive 50% off on your welcome bonus for your first deposit. And with that, let's get right into our final thought. And wait, uh, can Bruce, I call a 20 here? Can I call a 20 second timeout? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. We 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 got to talk about that little situation. You know, Madison Square Garden is going to be rocking on oh, Friday right. night. Yeah, and I think yep. I think Jared Allen, former Net, could be 
could be going to hear it from those fans in MSG world. What do you Ooh. think about uh, what? What was your take on that play, and how do you think uh, he's going to handle the reception he's going to get? Well, he's going to he's going to hear a <laughs> boo or two, I think, in the in the garden. Uh, he's going to be uh, reach villain status along with Reggie Miller and and a host of others and Pat Riley. Oh, Paul Pierce, and, Trey Young, yeah, you, Trey Young, Trey Young. There you go. So he he's going to reach that status uh, real quick. Uh, I didn't think it was a dirty play. I thought it was a dangerous play, and I thought it was unnecessary. Um, and that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong. There's the flip side to that argument is he was playing hard, and that's that's fine. I tend to disagree. I think he got beat on the play. I don't think he had any shot blocking it. And I think in the, I, I don't think he, he tried to block him. I don't think he tried to injure him. But in doing something like that, he really could have caused a serious damage in a situation where it definitely wasn't warranted, up by 20-plus with two minutes to go. Now, the, the, the argument for everybody is, well, what was Julius Randle doing in the game at that point? And that's fair. What was Jared Allen doing in the game, too? Yeah, I mean, he starts just as much as, uh, as Julius Randle. So, like I say, I didn't find it dirty. I found it dangerous, and I found it unnecessary. I had no problem with it, to believe it or not. I thought, obviously, uh, it's a playoff game. Uh, if you're out there on the floor, you can give it 110%. I think, of course, it was a dangerous play. I'm not going to disagree with that. But that danger kind of could work both ways, right? Despite he being the one that initiated the contact on the block attempt, he could have very well been the one that went down with injury. So he kind of risked his his own body in the process and don't think there was any bad intent behind it. But for playoff basketball, I'd much rather see 110% effort all 48 minutes than uh, guys taking it easy. So um, I, I, I understand why he's, I don't I understand why he's going to get booed, but yeah. Well, yeah, he's going to get booed because he almost took out you know for an sure. all-star. That's warranted. Next best player. Um, yeah, and it was a dangerous looking play, too. That's that's the problem. Sure. It was, you know, he took his feel it, it, you know, thank goodness he got up and everything was fine. And uh, you don't want anybody hurt. I don't want Jared Allen hurt in that play, sure. um, in that situation. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I come from the land of uh, Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason, so you know, <laughs> I it's hard for me to sit here and complain about the play or, or call it dirty or any of that stuff. So I get it. I can't, you know, condone, you know, their actions over the years and then suddenly you get all upset. That being said, I I get 100%. You give it all on every play. I think in that situation, he was beat. He wasn't going to get to block. He tried to get to block, but he didn't have any shot at it. And when you're up by 20-something points, to your point, Russ, yeah, he, uh, Julius Randle got hurt, you know, didn't get hurt or whatever, but he looked bad. Yeah, imagine what happens if Jared Allen gets hurt trying to defend a, a shot like that up 20 plus with two minutes to go in the game where the Knicks have no, they're not coming back. That That's not going to happen. And everybody knew it. What happens, what happens to you if you put yourself in that spot and you get yourself injured and now you, you know, all of a sudden a key part of their success because the, you know, the twin towers impact for him, him and Mobley is a thing that not too many teams have, if any. Yep. And, but that's uh, just a thought. Good. I don't know if I had much of an opinion <laughs> on it, Bruce. I mean. Yeah. Well, speaking of thoughts, let's go ahead and get into our final ones here. And, Bruce, I'll let you uh, start us off here. All right. 
We have yet to talk about my beloved Boston Celtics in this show, so it's time. (laughs) One of the most beloved players in Boston Celtics history is Dennis Johnson, a 6'4 guard who played seven seasons for the Celtics and won two championships in 1984 and 1986. Larry Bird called DJ the best teammate he ever had. And as the Celtics chase banner number 18, they have three guards in their rotation, all of whom are 6'4", like DJ, and share many of his traits. Marcus Smart and Derek White are rugged defenders who aren't elite scorers, but are never afraid to take a clutch shot, just like DJ. White has been Boston's best guard in the first two playoff games, averaging 25, double his regular season average. Smart is right around his scoring average after two games, but his rebounding, passing, and defense have been a major reason for Boston's success over the past nine seasons. And as for a newcomer, for this season anyway, Malcolm Brogdon, his hoop IQ and ability to make clutch baskets while taking care of the ball are also characteristics he shares with DJ. At the time of Dennis Johnson's untimely death in 2007 at the age of 52, he was the head coach of the Austin Toros, then known as the D-League, now the G-League. He would have eventually been a head coach in the NBA, and there's little doubt in my mind he would have seen a lot of himself in Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon. Awesome comparisons there, Bruce. Thanks for sharing that. World B. The clown show that was game two of the Lakers-Grizzlies series did not really occur on the court. It came afterwards when Dylan Brooks sunglasses to hide his blind, you know, shade him from the blinding light of the television cameras <laughs> proclaimed that he doesn't care about LeBron James because LeBron James is old. He doesn't respect anyone until they come and give him 40. Well, we're <laughs> going to assume we'll just forget for the moment that Brooks was only 5 of 14 from the field in game two. And that when he guarded LeBron James in game two, LeBron only hit five out of eight and scored 11 points on him. So it's not as if he didn't get to 40, but he didn't have enough chances to get to 40, as it turns out. So this will all add the intrigue to game three and be one of the headlining things. And if LeBron doesn't go and get for 30 in this game, I'll be very, very surprised because I know Dylan Brooks is doing his best to try and take the mantle away from Draymond Green as far as the biggest clown show in <laughs> wow. the NBA. Clown show. Wow. Well, appreciate the roast there on tonight's final thought, World B. Well done. Ouch. As for me, uh, for my final thought, uh, despite the beam, I want to bring some additional light to the Kings Warrior series. As there have been there has have been some real interesting off-the-court hip-hop news stories that have also been covered. Last Saturday during game one, we had Bay Area rap legend E40 ejected from the game that has now been deemed a miscommunication with an apology made by the Sacramento Kings, who have welcomed E40 back into their building for a future playoff game. Then in game two, we had rap legend and current Kings partner 50 Cent courtside squashing a long-standing beef with boxing legend Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather. Will we get more hip-hop news in Game 3? We'll have to stay tuned. But boy, does this series just continue to get better and better on and off the court. 
And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Belief, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Tuesday for yet another action-packed playoff weekend. Uh, after an action-packed playoff weekend, to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everyone.